0: The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go.
1: Yeah, some people say that, you know, they're going to have the high of their life when this happens. But I'm about to have one of the highs of my life right now. And so we are joined today by Will Gadara. And if you don't know Will Gadara, you can't see this because you're listening, but I'm like literally have like this big fat like book highlighted dog eared out the yin yang. And Will Gadara. Started his career in the restaurant industry at the ripe old age of 13. And at that time, he had a vision. And his vision was to be in the hospitality industry, which they didn't really call it that back then. And finally, decided that he wanted to have the number one restaurant in the world. And he achieved that. And today, he's here to talk about his book, which is a national bestseller called Unreasonable Hospitality. And if I could hug you right now, Will (laughs) Gadara, you'd be screaming for breath. Thank you, Beyond Thanks, for being here and being so generous in your willingness to do this for literally a complete stranger, which I shared was a true commitment and demonstration of your brand and your mission. And so
2: thank you. I feel like sometimes you can just even over an email or a message through whatever social media platform, you can get a sense of someone's energy and whether or not that is a person that you want to just spend some time with and you fall definitively into the category of someone that I did want to spend time with. And so thank you for having me on the show and for the kind words. And I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: Hell yeah. So, I want to get at this napkin thing, right? This little curious combination of these two words, unreasonable and hospitality, showed up on a cocktail napkin. This is like around the time you're in your mid 20s. And yeah. for what time to understand, your mind was racing, right? You'd had like this, like, like, maybe nervous energy. And that nervous energy was also triggered by your, one of your greatest influencers, your dad, Frank, right? Mm-hmm. And he had given you this paperweight that said, what would you do? What would you attempt to do if you knew there's no way that you could fail? And so how did that inspiration from the paperweight turn into this thing on the cocktail napkin that then turned into this mission that now has turned into a crazy amazing book and is literally taking your company and everything you're touching into full force.
2: So yeah, my dad did give me that paperweight when I was a kid. And it's funny because I'm, I'm talking to you from my office and, <laughs> and people can't see it, but I have the paperweight here. I'm a very OCD person. I don't like a lot of stuff around, but this is something that's always stayed in front of me at every desk I've worked at since um, I was old enough to have desks. And my dad gave it to me when I was a kid because my dad has always been very intentional in his career, in his role as a dad, and thoughtful about all of the various elements that go into being successful at both. When I was a kid, one of the things he was most obsessed with, maybe obsessed isn't the right word, concerned about, was that I grew up with a sense of confidence. My mom was a quadriplegic when I was growing up, and he was always concerned that that would kind of get into my head and lead to confidence issues, and he always tried his best to set me up for success, to not be insecure, and to let my past determine my future, and Like, he did things like when my mom got sick and couldn't drive anymore, he moved so that we were really, really close to my high school so that I never had to rely on other parents to drive me around so that my house would be where everyone hung out and I never felt like a burden to other people and rather that I got to play host to other people. When I was a kid and I started saying the word can't a lot. He got very upset and didn't want me to say that. And he literally put these little fortune cookie paper-sized things all over my room that said, success comes in cans, failure comes in cans. Some people react to this and say he was too intense, but it actually served me well. And he gave me that paperweight because he always wanted me throughout the course of my life, in work and in life, to consistently pause at varying intervals and ask myself that question, whatever the answer was, to try to do that. And he'd always go on to say that so many people are scared to say their most audacious goals out loud for fear that if they do and don't achieve them, they let themselves and those around them down. But he'd always follow that up by saying, "If you don't have the confidence and conviction to dream big out loud, it's very unlikely that your biggest dreams will ever come true." Mm. And oh, I'm like, he said that enough times where I believed it. By the way, I think that's a mark of a great leader is repetition. I think too many people undervalue the power of repetition. If you believe in something strongly enough, if you're not willing to say it over and over and over again to the people who you're trying to imbue the idea upon, it won't sink in. And so it was like a broken record on some of these things and eventually they did sink in. That cocktail napkin, that came and I've told this story too many times so we don't need to waste our time with me telling it. But on the night when we first got invited to the 50 best, and I was very hopeful about where we'd placed, and we came in last place, and I was embarrassed and mortified and left the party early and went back to the hotel and started drinking and going through the stages of grief, anger. Who are these people? How are we last place? we one of the best restaurants in America, and through the other stages, ultimately ending at acceptance. Because here's the deal. It's patently absurd to say that one restaurant is the best restaurant in the world, but The list acknowledges is the restaurant that's having the greatest impact on the world of restaurants. I thought about this paperweight that night and on a cocktail napkin wrote, we will be number one in the world. Another quote that says the same thing as this by someone from our time is Jay-Z's quote, which I've always loved. You can talk things into existence. I said it. Well, on a cocktail napkin, but ultimately said that aloud to my entire team because I wanted to hold myself accountable to the dream. Yeah. But a goal without an, an impact, like a goal without a strategy, it's nothing more than a pipe dream, right? So I needed to figure out what was our impact going to be. And so I did what one would obviously do when you're trying to accomplish something extraordinary. You look at the people that have accomplished it before you. What did they do? What can you learn from it? When I looked at the restaurants that had topped that list before us, it was El Bulli in Spain where Ferran Adria, the famous chef, pioneered techniques around molecular gastronomy and changed the world of cooking. I mean, you go to your local Applebee's, they use techniques that were you know, right. developed in this little restaurant on the coast of Spain. I looked at Rene Redzepi and his restaurant Nova and how he pioneered this idea of like foraging for ingredients and in, like, uber locality and Again, restaurants across the planet have learned from the, the, the techniques he he pioneered. Each of these chefs, and mind you, I'm not a chef. I'm a restaurateur. I'm the dining room guy, was unreasonable in pursuit of their product and relentless in pursuit of how it needed to change. Think when you're faced with a challenge or an opportunity, however you decide to frame it in the moment, the best thing you can do is look inward and identify your own superpowers. My superpower within that group of restaurants is everyone else there were chefs. I was one of the few dining room guys. I was one of the few people that was obsessed with hospitality. And so if they became number one by being relentless in pursuit of how the product needed to change, I wanted to become number one by being unreasonable in pursuit of people, in pursuit of making people feel seen, in pursuit of giving them a sense of belonging, Acknowledging our collective need to feel welcome. And so underneath, we will be number one in the world. I wrote those two words, unreasonable hospitality.
1: I love this because as kind of tributary or thread that came out of this is in in parts of the book, you talk about exactly that. The Stephen Jobs, the Martin Scorseses, the Serena Williams, there is nothing reasonable about them. (laughs) And as this relates to the audience that I serve, who are C-suiteers and executives and people who are, in many cases, where you were that night, where they thought, thought that they should be winning. I, I should be winning. And that humility that, and disappointment, at, and like the case of the fuck-its that it shows up in those moments. Are also, in so, many, in so many cases, that turning point that becomes either the fuel to motivate you to like, do something really unreasonable or to do something reasonable. Yeah. Why is doing something reasonable in your career, in some ways, like having the worst meal and you're never going back to that restaurant? <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, And I, w- I want to back up because what you said is important. Quote my dad constantly. Another thing that he taught me early on in life and it applied to my mom and her sickness and a lot of other stuff, but he would always say adversity is a terrible thing to waste. That's right. You can't control what life throws at you, but you can control how you react to it, how you allow it to make you stronger, how you use it to fuel your growth. And sometimes, and by the way, I just want to say that that's not to say that every time something bad happens, you should immediately see it as a growth opportunity. I thought that yeah. is unhealthy. Like, oh, yeah. It's, oh, you need to give yourself the grace and the space to fully feel the weight of whatever disappointment. Like you're,
1: you're not going to be like, wow, this is
2: amazing. Yeah. Because then that's fake and no one will believe in you. You need but, to like feel your feelings and then find the opportunity. But in hindsight, I'm so grateful we came in last place that first year because had we come in like 20th or 30th, I probably wouldn't have felt the level of devastation that forced me to want to grow. But yeah, what you're talking about is, and I genuinely believe this, you need to be unreasonable to see a world that doesn't yet exist. That word unreasonable in so many cases has negative connotations, but when you focus it on something beautiful For me, it just means that you're willing to do whatever it takes to bring an idea to life or to achieve a goal. When you focus being unreasonable on something beautiful, then it it just shows a tenacity that is inherent in any level of profound success.
1: It's One of my favorite things that you shared was this unreasonable, the, the depth of unreasonability. And another tenant of your book that I think I'm not going to force fit it and say it's a reach. I I, I make, I'm making a parallel here because the parallel is that you're calling you in your book, obviously about hospitality, there was a chapter written about services, black and white and hospitality is color. Mm. Explain what that is. And then I will also share how this applies to people who are looking for a job or looking to transform an organization.
2: Oh, cool. No, I think understanding the distinction between service and hospitality is incredibly important and how you define them and then how you prioritize them really says a lot about the organization you're trying to run. Um, Too many people conflate service and hospitality as being one of the same, and they're not. Service is a part of the product. Service is getting the right thing to the right person at the right amount of time. Service is doing the technical elements of the job correctly. It is a part of the product itself. Hospitality is how you make people feel along the way. It's the depth of connection you establish with the varying stakeholders in the transaction. The people you work with, and all of those that you serve.
1: And so I've been a a Tron, which is short for we tron, just for is out there not familiar with restaurant speak. And um, I always used to think to myself, you know, nobody goes out to dinner to have a bad time. Right? Mm-hmm. Form of entertainment. It's like you your expectation is already at such a baseline level that this is going to be a good time. And in this case, you have taken that experience to the nth nth degree and we're going to talk about one of those in a minute. But why I bring up this this parallel is because I am always unreasonable when it comes to talking to people about their careers. And I have a very hard and a hard line that says I will not help you find a job. You can go find a job. There are other people that do that, whether it's a recruiter or whether you want to go through a job board. I'm looking to help you be found because you are excited, skilled, and unreasonable about transforming this organization, addressing their problems, addressing whatever their team's issues are, whatever that area is. And I think that that whole idea also is transformative in in the way of people being purposeful in their work, not just checking a box because there's no fun in that anyway. There's no experience in that. That's just like, you know, punch a card and get a paycheck. And to that end, I want to ask you, because you have said we are now in the hospitality economy. <laughs> so, how does this idea from services black and white and hospitality is color and being unreasonable in your job search, how does that relate to the hospitality economy that applies to every industry?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, by the way, I, I believe no matter what, what you do for a living, no matter what business you're in, you can make the choice to be in the hospitality industry. And I believe that now more than any time in history is the right time to make that choice because okay America for a very long time for most of our history was a manufacturing economy but now we're a service economy and dramatically so more than three quarters of our GDP is driven by service industries globally it's more than two-thirds so that means whether you know you're in healthcare or computer services or finance or insurance or you name it we all do the same thing for a living where the business is serving other people and a lot has changed such that the people you are selling to prioritize the connection that comes from hospitality now more than ever and i'm going to lay out a few different reasons why a in this post-pandemic time, listen, you look at what was happening during the pandemic, people didn't stop buying things. You look at Amazon's share price during that time as evidence of that. What people realized was we have a collective need to feel meaningful connection with other people. And following the absence of that, we are all craving it now more than ever. There's nothing better to make you want something than having it taken away from you and Mm -hmm. recognizing how important it is to you. That's one. There's the digital transformation where appropriately, right? There's so many things that the digital transformation has done well for us, but it's made the moments of connection that much more important. And it's put us in a place where any business can no longer be wasteful in their pursuit of those moments because with them happening less often they're coming in a premium and people value them even more and then you look at the workplace with the remote and the hybrid workplace where i mean it's a part of how we need to lead because people on the teams are no longer connecting organically around the proverbial water cooler or after work happy hour a leader needs to, with intention and creativity, create the conditions for connection. Because and there's data behind this. I forget the exact numbers, but everyone's struggling with maintaining a workforce right now. Mm-hmm. And yet, if someone on your team has one or more close friends as colleagues, they're like 40% less likely to take another job. It's something Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It's true. Um, but it requires hospitality to create those conditions with intention when they're not created mm-hmm. organically. All of this is to say, and I'll lay on the plane on this, yeah. we are now a service economy. Those that make the choice to be in the hospitality industry will be the ones that separate themselves from the pack because I don't care what product you make, no one has a big enough moat where someone else can't come in and make a better widget tomorrow, but human connection and deep and powerful relationships take a long time for someone else to take away.
1: And it's fascinating because you may not have this in your industry, but we have this in the industry, which is a lot of ghosting, right? So a lot of the job candidates or or career people in in their interview processes are constantly, you know, dealing with the phenomenon of ghosting, which you could say is really bad service, right? Really bad service on the count of the employer. How does a candidate who wants to exercise some unreasonable hospitality in the face of ghosting deal with that and move on and then continuously have to show up and open up all their cupboards and take out their best linens and do all the things in order to show up as the best of the best of the best of the best and keep getting kicked in the face?
2: Hmm a great question. I mean, yeah, that's kind of part of, of the elements of society that make me sad right now. Conversations that should be happening in person, happening by a text message. I mean, even you see people breaking up with other people over text and not even feeling like it's inappropriate. And then spending a ton of time with someone, asking them to spend a ton of time with you and not even giving them the courtesy a thoughtful Thank you, but no, thank you. I don't know the role of hospitality in that. I, I do believe that resilience is obviously important. And making sure, and I believe this is a leadership trait as well, and I've talked about it in the book, that your energy impacts those around you, not the other way around. Mm. You can't let the people who act the worst define how you then go on to act it's a part of the human condition the way we are treated we have this innate inclination to start treating people that way that's probably why those people are ghosting you because they've been ghosted in the past Mm. you know decide are you a leader or are you a follower are you going to let the way other people treat you determine how you treat others or are you going to try to inspire others to treat People in the way that they're being treated by you.
1: I love this answer because it takes a tremendous amount of both resilience and holding your head up and saying, you know what, next, (laughs) let's move on. I'm not, I'm not interested in you anyway. Not in a spiteful way, but just saying, like, okay, you know, next. I'm like, there's, there's more, there's more out there. Maybe even uh, getting over the scarcity that that was the one.
2: And by the way, I do want to say, it's easy to say, it's harder to do. I don't want to oversimplify the idea. Well, the idea itself is simple. The execution of it is hard. But if you can create a practice and at least give yourself the ability to pause and determine how you want to react before you just react, that is how hospitality comes into it. Giannis ask the question before you say the thing we say that a lot of the restaurants or another riff on that is just just think the thought before you say the thing just give yourself the time to pause determine how you want to show up in the world before you actually show up
1: will you share with us the rule of 95.5 and can you talk about the blue spoons because ever since you introduced these blue spoons I have been on a witch hunt, like I've literally Googled, I'm so embarrassed, Italian plastic spoons.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Talk
1: to us about this rule because I think that there is some really cool applications to this uh, for those of us who are in the search.
2: So the rule 95.5 is how I manage the business side of my business. And so that means Manage your money like a maniac 95% of the time. And I mean like a maniac. Leave no stone unturned. Every penny counts. Every minute counts. All of it. Such the 5% of the time you can spend money foolishly. And I put foolishly in quotes because it's actually not foolish at all. It's just foolish in the eyes of, of the traditional business mindset. There's a famous economist who has inspired the way many businesses are run that says what gets measured gets managed, meaning that businesses will invest money and spend time on things where there is a clearly defined return attached to those. Here's the thing though, human emotion, connectivity, all of that is very, very hard to measure, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. In many cases, it matters more. And, if, and in fact, the return well, hard to measure is so vast, it's almost incalculable. And that is how you treat your team as well as how you treat the guest. And I mean, with our, with our team, I would manage overtime like a crazy person. There should not be overtime. And all the little details about hours and this and that and the other thing. But when it came time to throw a party for my team, we would throw a party. Because I believe that those are the moments that people actually remember. People want to work in a disciplined workplace and they also want to be celebrated when it's time to celebrate. And if you're as, that's like a work hard, play hard thing, right? You just need to invest yourself as heavily into each. The Blue Spoon was when I was running the Museum of Modern Art, the food and beverage there. I opened a gelato cart in the sculpture garden and I again was relentless in pursuing every single cost what's the point of doing it if it's not going to make the business money? And so I found the perfect gelato at the right price and got the person to give us the cart for free because of the, the honor that he would have to be serving gelato in the sculpture garden at MoMA, all this stuff. But it's also the sculpture garden at the Museum of Modern Art. I wanted the experience to be amazing. And if you go to the third floor of MoMA, it's the gallery with all the beautiful objects. And I wanted to pay tribute to that and we found these little blue plastic spoons, which I just thought were unbelievably gorgeous and they were heartbreakingly expensive. Far more money than anyone should spend on a little plastic spoon for a gelato cart. But I believe sometimes how you spend that 5% is what takes an experience over the top. In that one small case, I believe the spoon was where to do it. And my boss at the time was horrified with me when she found out how much I was spending on the spoons. But when she saw p and she saw how much money we were making, she never thought about the spoons again. Because of the discipline with which I managed the 95%, I earned the luxury of being foolish on the spoons. And because of the specialness of the spoons, the entire thing actually worked. If you manage your money like a maniac 100% of the time, you're not going to be creating anything of significance. If you're foolish 100% of the time, you're going to go out of business. It's about balance. And for me, 95.5 was always the balance that worked.
1: Yeah. From what I understood, people would want a second gelato yeah. so that they could So, you not only created the experience, the, the, this like unbelievable experience by way of the spoons, but it, in, in you know, encouraged more of it. And I use this because when people are preparing for interviews, right? They're so, they're so like care- Sometimes they're not careful enough, right? Then they just like, oh, I'll just wing it. And I'm like, no, 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 that's probably not a good <laughs> idea. But sometimes they overprepare so much and they forget to have fun and they, they are not seen as real people. And I want to encourage you, everyone who's listening, that 5% in In this case, it didn't in any way take down the integrity of the of the gelato. it It made it that much better. And sometimes i I hear, well, that's not really professional if I'm laughing and I'm having fun, and I, and I write a LinkedIn post and it doesn't talk about this, you know, economy or this as this revenue thing. No. Give the meat and potatoes. In this case, the ninety-five percent, and make sure you also infuse that level of party or fun or plastic spoons or whatever that is. And and I think that it's really important to remember that one of the, one of the things that we need to remind ourselves in the in the business of hiring and the business of work is people. And you you say this better than anyone. People hire people. I mean, in your it, you've you've talked so much about you did not hire people who came from the pedigree of the finest white tablecloth, you know, restaurant uh, at uh, all.
2: I mean, I, I want to say two things. A, listen, if you're in the room, they've decided you have the experience required to get the job. The reason you're there. Is that they can get a sense of who you are as a human being. Are you someone that's curious, hardworking, loyal, passionate? Do they want to spend time with you? The other metaphor I'd use is we used to drill menu knowledge into the people on our team. They had to know every single ingredient backwards and forwards. They'd take tests on it. It was vitally important. But the real reason for that, is so that when you were dropping off a plate and you went to describe it, you didn't need to waste even a moment trying to remember what was on the plate. It was innate. You understood it. It came out effortlessly. And you could invest every ounce of your energy into just connecting with the people. If you're trying so hard to be professional, you've left yourself no margin to be human.
1: Oh, mic drop. Yeah. A hundred percent. I exactly, exactly. And this is really why I I wanted you to come on the show. I mean, I didn't. I don't like to bring people on just because they're all that and they're you know. I mean, wonderful that you're famous and and great stuff. But I'm much more interested in in the core of who you are. I'm much more interested in the in the philosophies and the practices that you have shared and, and given away and, and toiled in the in the trenches to actually develop. Like these didn't come, you know, this is your body of work, not just the book, but the whole entire thing. This is your body of work, like a maestro. And I believe that this is so applicable in so many areas and that's what you're doing now. I, I, I applaud that unbelievably. And I think that for, for the world of leaders, many of which I have the great fortune to, to engage with, this cannot be an afterthought. Mm-hmm. This actually has to be at the forefront. You know, enough, and I, I, I do want to talk about this because, you know, the, the resume value and the hiring process, while extremely broken and defunct, also has a lot of workarounds and in your in your restaurants and i imagine in your business you're not going just for the cookie cutter and so what i want to ask you is what is what is your will godera you know hiring process and what is that je ne sais quoi what is that that x factor that says You know what? I don't give a damn what's on that resume. I'm hiring them.
2: Okay. So I believe that most companies, the list of requirements for many roles is far longer than it should be. I like to use dating metaphors because I believe that relationships are relationships and most of the roles apply to both life and work. I have friends, men and women, who are single long after wanting to be single. Because their list of all the things they need in a husband or a wife is so long that it's almost impossible to find a person that actually checks all those boxes. When, if they got rid of the list or at least made it a lot shorter, their eyes would actually be open wide enough to find someone that would make them so unbelievably happy. I believe the same thing is true with most jobs. We are putting so many filters on who can actually come in and apply that. I believe in many cases, we're missing out on the perfect person. I believe everyone should interrogate how much experience they require, what credentials they require, to the point where those lists are as short as humanly possible. There's some things that need to be on there, depending on the job, but they should be as short as humanly possible. Then just meet with people and engage with them as human beings and trust in two facts. One, if you're a good leader. You need to trust your gut and that you can get a read on someone. Are they passionate? Are they optimistic? Are they gonna make people around them more energized or less energized? Do they have the capacity to learn? Will they contribute? Are they someone you want to spend time with? And also trust in the fact that you can't call yourself a good leader and also require that everyone comes in fully capable to do every part of the job. Part of your job is to lead them to grow in the areas where they need growth. And so that's my approach. I like to hire great people, make the list of requirements as short as possible, find optimistic people, and trust in my ability to teach them what they don't.
1: Mm-hmm. And any words of advice, encouragement for the other side, for the job seeker, for the person who is in a different trench that is going through this. Maybe that that person has been off the market. Maybe they've been in their past role for more than you know, double digits. Maybe they're middle in the middle of, of, of life. Maybe they're in their late 40s or early 50s, and they are just reentering either by virtue of being involuntarily exited, yeah. which is happening, everywhere at all moments of the day and now they are in a world where it's like, they're not in Kansas anymore,
2: right? I mean, again, let's use a dating metaphor, you're gonna go on some bad date and if you go on a bad date, that can't make you lose faith in the fact that your person is out there. I mean, anyone has found their person, with very few exceptions, went on a lot of bad dates before they met the person they were meant to be with. Difference between work and dating is there's a power shift. Obviously, I get that. But the same rules do apply. Not getting a job doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that you're incapable. It just means one of two things. Either it wasn't the right fit or maybe they're a bad person. But... Again, let your energy impact the people around you, not the other way around. And as much as it's easier to say than to do, don't give some random person the power of stealing your confidence.
1: Wow. Okay. So, we're going we're gonna to take this in a totally different direction. We're going to get into our, the three signature questions that I ask. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is your go-to recommended read? What do you what what should anybody in their career, anybody in any industry, what is the what is that book that you want to just say like read this
2: now? I mean, it changes a lot. The the one that's been a constant since I was in college was the one but a
1: bit of. manager! I guessed it. Yes,
2: I, mean, I just love that book, and I also always lead with that book because it's short, big font. If someone can't get through that book and extract the right lessons, then I don't trust them enough to give them any more recommendations. But (laughs) I think that is a beautiful primer and an introduction to how to lead with intention and grace.
1: Second question. I would like to ask people after we do these podcasts, what's the post-it that we should Take away and put on their desktop or someplace nearby as a reminder of what what Will would say.
2: I mean, it's funny, sometimes when we're talking, I'll say something like, oh, I like how that came out. I want to say that again. And from today's conversation, like if you're trying so hard to be professional, you're not leaving yourself the margin to be human. I think that would be what I'd leave people with for today. Mm-hmm based on the world that we're, we're talking about.
1: Love it. And your walk-up song.
2: What is that? Uh, Dreamweaver by Gary Wright.
1: Oh, yes. Also, I love that. I love that too, because I know that when you were younger, you had a, a fascination with magic. And yes. I, I truly, truly love that, that you brought that in, because everything that you have done throughout your career has been on a level of of real alchemy and and, and magic. And like, I don't know how to thank you. I said that before, but this has been just an absolute treasure and and a Dreamweaver experience for me, that's for sure.
2: The conversation has filled my cup. I appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much. We're going to sign off. And um, in the show notes, of course, is going to be access to the link for Unreasonable Hospitality, which if you haven't received one from me yet, it's coming. And and that being said, I'm going to stop the recording. I'm going to spend a couple more seconds with Will, and then I'm going to let him get back to his happy place and his kids. So thank you all for listening today. And please, if you like this episode, you know what to do. Go write a review and go be unreasonable about it. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Have a great rest of your night.
0: Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears, big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love, leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next career blast in a half. Most of all, thank you for you.